Praise the Lord. Well, I was looking at the calendar and looking for the rest of this year and looking about what we can talk about in our adult life class and what does the church need most importantly in praying about that. And I've worked out that we have got exactly seven Sundays. Seven Sundays? Seven Sundays, yes. Seven Sundays before the end of the year. The very last Sunday of the year, we're going to be having a Christmas breakfast here. Yeah, amen. You and me, we're on the same page, sister. (laughs) In my head, I'm like, yay, but I have to say amen because I'm the pastor. Amen. We're going to be doing a Christmas breakfast, so we won't have life class that day. We're going to come together. We're going to fellowship, and then we're going to have a service. It's going to be a great time of fellowship, which gives me six Sundays. And I wanted to do a little bit um, in a couple weeks' time. I want to do a series on Christmas because I was talking to someone whose name I won't mention because I don't want to embarrass him, but he might possibly be related to me. And I asked him, and I said, what is Christmas all about? And he said, presents. And I said, no, it's about Jesus. He said, no, it's about Santa. He brings presents and puts them under the tree. So I thought, good Lord, Pastor, if your own son doesn't know what Christmas is about yet, you might have to do some teaching. (laughs) Amen. So we're going to do a series on Christmas in about a couple weeks' time because that will take us all the way through to our Christmas breakfast. So we're going to do four series on the meaning of Christmas and the purpose of Christmas and what it is all about. Amen. And so if your kids look at you and they say, it's about presents, then make sure you're here so you know the answer. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Which gives me two Sundays to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks. So we're going to start a little mini-series, a two-part series this morning on the fruit of the Spirit. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? Go to the book of Galatians. We're going to go to the last, oh, second to last, sorry, book, sorry, the second to last chapter, Galatians chapter 5. Now, have you ever come to church before? Maybe this is just me. But have you ever come to church and the pastor's gone to a scripture and you just think, oh boy, here we go. And every Sunday, right? Yeah. That's going to be this scripture, so fair warning, put your belts on, okay? Nobody look at nobody else, because this is not a place where we judge one another. Hello? Amen? Galatians chapter 5, let's start reading from verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Say amen when you're there. This I say then, this is the Apostle Paul writing, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest or apparent, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, 
lasciviousness. And we're going to talk about what these mean in a few minutes. So if you're not sure about what these old English words means, don't worry, we'll get there. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Let's move on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the afflictions and lusts. Last verse, verse 25. For if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Amen. That's the Word of the Lord. That's pretty full on. God's Word often doesn't cut any punches, does it? It just tells you like it is. Amen. And we're going to be talking about over the next two weeks what the fruit of the Spirit are. And uh, it's important we don't confuse them with the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are spiritual gifts, they're skills, abilities, talents that are given to us by the Holy Spirit to bless and to edify others. Amen. And we find those in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through to 14. And, and that's, that's a lesson for another time. But today we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is characteristics, behaviors, and attributes of God's nature that we begin to develop in our life after we've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And after we are filled with the Spirit, the Scripture tells us that we are to walk in the Spirit. Amen? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And uh, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And the Scripture text that we read, it reveals quite a dramatic comparison, doesn't it? Between what the works of the flesh are on one hand and the fruit of the Spirit. And it's kind of contrasting the lifestyle of those who are walking after the flesh with those who are walking after the Spirit. Amen. You walk after the flesh, you're going to fulfill the works of the flesh. You walk after the Spirit, you're going to fulfill the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will become evident in your life. Amen. And the Scripture makes a distinction between living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And there's a couple of different ways you can look at this. There's First of all, you can look at it this way. Living in the Spirit involves our inward man, our attitudes, our characteristics, our mindset. Walking in the Spirit involves our outward man. Our behavior, our actions, our conduct, the way we conduct ourselves with others. Amen. You can also look at it as far as living in the Spirit as in if we are, have come alive in the Spirit. And the Greek word there that's living is the same word that's used when it talks about the Scripture being quick. It's living. If we are, have come alive in the Spirit, then we should also walk in that Spirit. Amen. And so in other words, this Christian lifestyle, salvation is not just a one-time event that happens, but there's a whole Christian life that you have to live after that. Amen. I'm seeing a few people nod. That's good. I'm seeing other people looking at me like they're not sure, but we'll get there. 
Other Old Testament, sorry, other New Testament scriptures teach us that there is a conflict or a war that is going on in the spirit-filled believers. A war between spirit and a war between, or sorry, a war between spirit and flesh. Amen. First Peter, chapter two and verse eleven. I've got quite a few scriptures this morning, so get quick on your Bibles. First Peter, chapter two and verse eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain. From fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7 says, For to be carnally minded, which means to live in the flesh, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, or to live in the spirit, is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, or it's an enemy, it's against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither can it be. Amen. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify, which means to put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. And so we can see that in the life of the believer, there's this, this battle between, and Paul, Paul himself even talks about it. And he says, the good that I would do, I don't do it. And, and that which I wouldn't do, that I do. You know, and so every single one of us, from the pastor to the newest Christian, has that battle where we're constantly got this, this war going on where we know what we should do, and we struggle sometimes to fulfill that. Amen? Amen. The Scripture teaches us that it is crucial that we be spiritually minded, and it is crucial that we abstain from fleshly lusts and mortify, Romans said, mortify or put to death the deeds of the body. It is important, therefore... That we understand the differences between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and we read this in the beginning. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. It gives us a list of the works of the flesh. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. Right? You look at the last part, and the such like, that Paul says. You know, other things that he might not have specifically mentioned. But you just read through the list. Adultery. We know what adultery is, don't we? Fornication, we know what fornication is too, right? Uncleanness, moral impurity, lewdness, indecency, lasciviousness. Now that's a really cool word, lasciviousness. But it means to be morally unrestrained or not having any morals, just moralless, no compass. Idolatry, excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing other than God. Can I tell you, I think that's a problem in the world today. We might not be creating little stone idols and bowing down to them, but there are other things in people's lives which take priority over the things of God. And anything that you put before God becomes an idol. Woo-wee, hello. You all still awake? Still with me? Witchcraft. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Hatred. That's pretty straightforward too. Amen. Variance. That's contentious. You ever, you ever meet those contentious people? It doesn't matter what you say. They just want to argue. Right? Contentious. Don't say amen too loudly, okay, guys? Contentious. <laughs> Woo, mercy. Emulations. Or in other words, zealous competition. I've got to be better than that person. I've got to be further than that person. You know, trying to get ahead. Wrath. Having fierce, passionate indignation, anger over things that are going on in your life. 
strife, bitter quarrels, seditions, straightforward heresies, rejection of spiritual doctrine, scriptural doctrine rather. But just not, not even being concerned to look at the scripture and see if what you're believing is true. Right? Heresies, envyings, self-destructive jealousy. These are the works of the flesh. Murders. That's pretty straightforward too. Drunkenness, loss of reason and self-control. And I think drugs can fall into that too. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Revelings, letting loose in a rebellious manner, excessive revelry. And the such light conducts and behavior that are related or similar to those previously listed. And, and, and the Apostle Paul concludes this list of the works of the flesh by giving us a very stern warning. It doesn't get much more blunter than this. Of the which I tell you before, verse 21, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's full on, isn't it? Here's the good thing. There's good news, folks. Having the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us gives us the potential for a powerful transformation to take place. As we yield and submit to the Holy Spirit, amen, then we begin a metamorphosis into a new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us this. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things... The works of the flesh, the old way of living, the old way of doing things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. And this is the thing, because as Christians, we should not be living the same lifestyle that we used to live before we came to God. Hello? We should not be living the same lifestyle as what we were living before we were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We ought to have something in our hearts that says, no, no, I'm moving away from that old lifestyle. I'm putting to death those works of the flesh. Amen. Whereas once we were servants of sin, now we have become servants of righteousness. The fruit of our lives used to be sin and unrighteousness. Amen. And, and, and all the complications that that brings. But the fruit that should be in our lives is supposed to be holiness and purity. Amen. And the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Look at this. Romans chapter 6. Why don't we turn there this morning? Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to start reading from verse 16. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Everyone say amen when you're there. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Verse 17, But God be thanked. That you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine that was delivered you, which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. 
I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Amen. Where were we? For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in these things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we like that scripture, don't we? We don't like to read the parts that come before that. Because it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. Because when we're engaged in those works of the flesh, when we're not moving them and getting rid of them and, and mortifying them, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, putting them to death, then the end result of that will only ever be death. There is no other way around that. Amen? It is not until we become a new creation, a new creature in Christ, and we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit manifest in our life, that we then become servants to righteousness and we can become holy and we can be in the presence of God. Amen? You still with me? Our way of life becomes a new walk. Our conduct, our behavior, which used to be sinful, selfish, and willful, has become a new walk, a new life, one of godly and upright behavior. Amen? Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There is a new life that gets born. Amen. A new life. And as a result of being filled with the Holy Ghost, we begin to bear fruit. And what we mean by that is you begin to show evidence in your life that the Spirit is the one that is in control of your life. God is the one. That is in control of your life. Amen. And we are identified or classified according to the fruit that we bear in our life. And this just makes sense, doesn't it? It does. It really does. It works both ways. You walk down the street, right? And you see someone with no money, no job, drugged out on the side of the road. You're looking at the fruit. That's the result of living that kind of lifestyle. Amen. It makes sense. You know, you look at someone who's not even like that. You look at someone who can't control their spending. And they end up loaded down with debt. That's the fruit of that kind of lifestyle. Amen. So it too is as a, as a Christian. When the Spirit is operating and moving in our heart. And when our, our lives are being controlled by the Spirit. We begin to show forth that fruit. That our lives are being controlled by God. That God is the one that's in charge of our life. And that's what attracts people to God. Because they see the fruit of His Spirit at work in our life. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. This look at the scripture that, that supports this. Look at this. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For a good tree doesn't bring forth corrupt fruit. Makes sense, doesn't it? Neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. If I plant a banana tree, what fruit am I going to get? Are you positive? You sure I'm not going to get pumpkins? I might get lychees. No, of course not. It doesn't matter how many times I plant a banana tree. 
I will get bananas 100% of the time. Amen. It's the same thing. When we are living our lives unrighteous and we're not following the walk that the Spirit is leading us on, the fruit is going to follow because that's what we're planting. But if we live our lives surrendered to the will of God, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, the fruit will follow. Amen? It's just going to come because that's the law. Amen? It's the way it works. A good man, moving on in, verse, in Luke chapter 6, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Mm. It's interesting you notice that in Galatians chapter 5, it refers to the fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruits of the Spirit. And would you believe I actually never noticed that before? Isn't that terrible? I never noticed that it just said the fruit of the Spirit. Not the, I always just kind of assume because there's multiple ones. It's the fruits of the Spirit, and each one is an individual fruit, right? But it's actually, it just says the fruit of the Spirit. Or, or I think, in other words, this is quite deliberate, but it's saying that all these characteristics and qualities that we're about to explore, they are qualities that comprise of one fruit, and that Christians are to have all of these characteristics manifest in our lives. We need to be able to look at these characteristics, and we're going to go through them, and I don't think we're going to get through all of them. But we're going to go through them and, and we need to be thinking to ourselves, well, am I manifesting that in my life? Because we should be able to identify every single one of these, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, mercy. We should be able to identify all of these in our life in some measure, at some point in our life, amen, if we are walking after the Spirit. Praise the Lord. So what do we got here? Love. The Greek word used there is agape. And I know there's various different translations for the Greek word um, love that we use. And the one used here is agape, which is talking about sacrificial devotion, affection, benevolence, joy, cheerfulness, calm delight, gladness. Peace is another one. Quietness, rest, tranquility, long-suffering. You know, I had a pastor once who used to tell me that in the Greek... It was actually pronounced long-suffering. Because <laughs> that's what it's talking about. Patient endurance. That's what the word means. I mean, we're all good with endurance, but patient endurance. Wow. Patient endurance. Forbearance. Fortitude. Gentleness. Moral excellence, kindness, courtesy, goodness, virtue, faith. Talking about moral conviction. Morally convicted that what you are standing on is the truth. That God is with you. That's faith. Meekness, gentle humility, humbleness, temperance, temperance sorry, self-control, self-restraint, self-discipline, moderation. I think that's something that everyone struggles with in a big way. Amen. So we're going to talk about all of these. And I've got more notes than I've got time. What time is it? Okay. So we'll see how we go. But the first one we're going to talk about is love. Love is the first. 
and the preeminent fruit of the Spirit. And I think there's a reason why it's first on that list. I think it's not just... Because remember, this is what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? What Paul is doing is he's looking at God and saying, we need to be like Him. He said, these are the characteristics that I see in God, church. So we need to have love. We need to have joy. We need to have meekness, right? He's looking at the characteristics of God and he's listing them down as he sees them. But I think love is not just one of the characteristics of God. I think love is actually the very basis and essence of God's nature, right? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us this. It says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love, right? It's His essence. It's His nature. And the fruit of love is so important that the entire 13th chapter is known as the love chapter. But the entire 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians is dedicated to love. There's actually something quite interesting here. Um, Why don't you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Have a look at this. I want to show you something. First Corinthians chapter 13. These are the characteristics that we need to have in our life, that we need to be pursuing. And here's the thing. If we are walking after the Spirit, they will come. They will come. First Corinthians chapter 13. And it's interesting because if you just have that open in your Bible and look at this, there's actually a parallel between all the fruit of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians to everything that's listed in 1 Corinthians. Look at this. Love, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians, seeks not her own. Joy, verse 6, love rejoices not in iniquity. Peace. Look at verse 5 again. Is not easily provoked. Peace. Long-suffering. Verse 4. Charity or love suffers long. Look at verse 7 as well. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's long-suffering, folks. Gentleness. Verse 4. Love is kind. Faith. Believes all things, hopes all things. I said that already. Never fails. Meekness. Look at this. Verse 4. Charity vaunteth not itself, or love doesn't puff itself up. Temperance. Verse 5. Does not behave itself unseemly. Yeah, so, so everywhere you read, every single fruit of the Spirit is somehow represented in love. Interesting, isn't it? I'd never noticed that before either. But every single fruit of the Spirit is paralleled in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So in reality, all the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians are exemplified and embodied in genuine love. And I mean, that's the whole premise of the church, right? We are here to love God, love people. 
On that hangs all the law of the prophets, Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love God. Love people. And so it's no surprise to me that, that love really does embody everything there is to know about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I've heard that there's three different Greek words. I've heard there might be another one as well that I wasn't aware of that could be translated as love. The first one is eros, and that's a romantic love, and you won't find that one in the Bible, but it's true. The other one is philia, which is friendly or brotherly love. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, there's an example of that. The author of Hebrews writes, he says, let brotherly love continue. Agape, which is what the love of the fruit of the Spirit is talking about, is a sacrificial, selfless love. You know, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love or the agape of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. But the word love there is agape in the Greek. It's that sacrificial love. That love where you're willing to give up anything for that person. Where you're willing, no matter what it takes. That's, that's, that's pretty high, isn't it? That's the love that Jesus loved us with. And yet that's what we are called to. Amen. Love is the greatest fruit of the Spirit that we can ever manifest. And if we can manifest the fullness of that, agape love, filial love, love for the brothers, love for our sisters, then the other fruit of the Spirit will be present as well. There's no doubt about that. You can't go wrong with love. Turn to the person next to you say, love. If you got someone next to you. <laughs> love. Love. The next one I want to talk about is joy. Everyone say joy. When we manifest joy, unbelievers are attracted and enticed by what we have. Because joy is something that everybody wants to have. Everybody is looking for joy. Not happiness. There is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, happiness comes from a root word which, called, which is um, happenstance. That's where we get the word happiness from. It shares the same root. And, and happenstance is based on circumstance, right? They all come kind of from the same family. But, but essentially what I'm saying is happiness is rooted in circumstance. Happiness is based on happenstance. Or in other words, you are required to have something good happen for you to be happy. Amen. And this is the problem. Because let's face it, sometimes bad things happen. True story? Your car breaks down. You get that flat tire. Your cat dies. I hope no one's cat died recently. 
You know, you get sick. You know, I had my car accident back in March. Bad things happen sometimes. And if you are relying only on what's going good or bad in your life to dictate to you your feelings, then you're just like everybody else in the world. We should have joy. And here's the thing. Joy is deeper than just happiness. Because joy is not based on circumstance. Amen. The joy of the Lord is not the same as the joy that this world talks about. When we manifest joy, people are attracted because God's joy is wholesome and pure. And it cannot be found in the world. It just can't be found. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, That will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Not just joy, but fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And how do we know that joy is not based on circumstance? Look at this. The church in the book of Acts, they experienced terrible persecution. Yet the believers who were able to have the fruit of the joy, they were able to have the fruit of joy in their lives despite their suffering. Look at this. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. And they, this is talking about the disciples, departed from the presence of the council... Looking all mopey and sad. Council's against us. They told us we couldn't preach about Jesus anymore. They beat us. They beat me. I did nothing wrong. They beat me. Hello? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they departed from the presence of council rejoicing. That's crazy. That they were counted worthy to suffer. How do you rejoice? When you're suffering, that's joy. That's not happiness. The joy of the Lord is unspeakable, which means that it is inexplicable. It is unexplainable. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit can have joy even when circumstances are difficult and painful. Amen. Look at this. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Talking about Jesus, whom you have not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with what? Joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Right? And, and, and when God's Spirit is in control of our life, and when we are filled with the power of the Spirit, we can choose to live in self-pity, or we can choose to live in joy. And self-pity will, will rob us of our joy, but joy brings us strength, and it brings us courage, even in times of trial. Look at this, First Peter, again, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, not just a trial, a fiery trial, that is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice, in so much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. In the middle of a fiery trial, a Christian can still say, I've got the joy of the Lord. I've still got a bounce in my step. I'm still living for God and my life is great. And I know my circumstances might not be good, but I have got the joy of the Lord. Amen. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When we are joyous, we are strong. Look at this. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. 
And he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I, I think we underestimate sometimes the strength that having the joy of the Lord can be in our life. You know, because when God's joy is manifest in your life, man, everything can be going to chaos around you. And everyone is going to be wondering, why are you not going to pieces? And this is what the world is looking for, right? Because there are people out there whose lives are in pieces, and they don't know why, and they can't figure out, and they have zero happiness. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't have happiness either in that circumstance that they might be in. But when we've got the joy of the Lord... It gives us the strength. You know what? I've still got Jesus. I might have lost my job. I might have lost my house. I might have lost my family. I might have lost this. I might have lost that. But I still have my joy. You know, there's a really great song by a guy called Ty Tribbett called, I Still Have My Joy. After all that I've been through, I still have my joy. The devil thought he had me, but I still have my joy. You hold on to your joy and the devil can't touch you. The devil cannot touch you because he just cannot deal with a joyful Christian. He's throwing this and throwing that and trying to do this. And you're just like, <laughs> it's got the joy of the Lord in my heart because it's my strength. Amen. Everyone say joy. Man, I feel the joy of the Lord in my heart right now. Woo. Praise the Lord. Peace. Everyone say peace. This will be the last one. We'll finish up on this one. Peace. As Christians. We have the promise of peace in our heart. In Isaiah chapter 9. Let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Everyone say amen when you're there. For unto us a child is born. This is like my favorite, favorite Christmas scriptures. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Who's it talking about, church? It's talking about Jesus. That's right. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. That's Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. And so here is the amazing thing. When we are filled with the Spirit, we have the Prince of Peace in our hearts. That's incredible. You know, John 14 and verse 27, Jesus talking, He said, Peace. I leave with you my peace. I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. He then goes on and says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And this is so incredible. Because when we take our life and we place it into the hands of the Prince of Peace, we can experience such peace. That nobody else can understand. Amen. We, if, if, and here's the thing. If God is truly in control, and we believe that He is, 
Amen. That we don't have any need to worry. We don't have any need to fret. We can rest in God and enjoy the peace of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4. I love this scripture. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Look at this. Why don't you turn there this morning? We're nearly done. Philippians chapter 4. All right, who took Philippians out of my Bible? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. There it is, Philippians chapter 4. Look at this. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. I love this scripture. Be careful for nothing. Now, that's not saying, you know, go bungee jumping without a cord, right? It's not saying be stupid. It's saying be careful. In other words, be full of care for nothing. In other words, don't worry about stuff. Don't fret about stuff. Don't stress out about stuff. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And listen to this. And the peace. Everyone say peace. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Peace. But not just peace. Peace that passes understanding. Have you ever stopped to wonder why the Bible says that? Why didn't it just say peace? Why did it have to say peace that passes understanding? Here's what I think the Bible's saying. The Bible is saying is that in the middle of this Christian life, when everything around you says you should have no peace... And you should be stressed. And you should be panicking. You can still have peace. And people look at you and go, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you stressing about this? I don't know either. I've got peace. It's beyond my understanding. But I've still got peace in my heart. Because my life, my hope, my trust is built on God. Amen. So how do we cultivate that fruit of peace? We do it by keeping our minds focused on God. You know, full disclosure, I struggle with this sometimes as well. You know, I'll come down, I'll get down, I'll start praying. And, and in my mind, I've got this worry and this thing and this thing I've got to do. And, and I've got to stop it. And go, okay, God, help me bring my focus back onto you. Let me just put all those aside. I'm just going to focus on you. And when I find I can do that, that's when the peace begins to come. We keep our mind focused upon God. Thinking on our problems, it brings frustration. It brings anxiety. But, you know, the song says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And that's what prayer is. It's bringing our mind and our attention, our focus onto God and saying, God, I'm going to give this to you. And you can give me peace, and I'm going to let you solve my problems. Amen? Amen. Isaiah chapter 26, last scripture. Why don't we all stand this morning? Isaiah chapter 26, in verse 3. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusts in thee. We've got to keep our minds stayed on God. Amen. We talked about love. We talked about joy. We talked about peace. Next week, we're going to talk about long-suffering. 
gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Might have to preach for a bit longer, Brother Josh. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Why don't we just close our eyes? Let's bow our heads. Let's just talk to the Lord quickly. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus, oh, what a privilege it is to know you, Lord God.